0: This is Movie Land with CJ Johnson.
1: Hello and welcome to Watch This. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me. Hounds of Love is a terrific new nasty little Australian suburban nightmare of a feature film and I'm pleased to present my interview with that film's writer-director Ben Young. It's his debut. Now the sound on this one sounds a little bit different because it is taken from my interview with Ben on my web TV show, Watch This. So if you want to actually watch this interview rather than just listen to it, you can jump onto your computer or device, look up skippy.tv, skippy.tv, that's S-K-I-P-I.tv, where you'll find my show, Watch This and this interview with Ben Young. Otherwise, here it is. Australian cinema has gone through many distinct phases. In the beginning... I would suggest you could call it Outback Gothic, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Then, of course, George Miller came along and pretty much invented the post-apocalyptic car genre with Mad Max and its sequels. During the 80s and 90s, we definitely went down a comedy road. Indeed, we were known for quirky comedies. Camp comedies, even. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Muriel's Wedding, Strictly Borum, and so on. But now, I would suggest, the phase of Australian cinema that we are in, the one that we are known for, is what I am calling Suburban Nightmares. From The Boys, through Snowtown, through even Animal Kingdom, and now through to Hounds of Love, we are making films where violence happens in the daytime and the killers might wear thongs on their bare feet. There is a new addition to this genre, Hounds of Love, as I say. It's been written and directed by Ben Young. You look beautiful. Just like you did the Domey Men.
0: So how long have you been together? Oh, God, I've been with him since I was, like, 13.
1: So your film is, I would suggest, this suburban nightmare. You know, there's blue skies while violence is happening, and it could happen, you know, at 11.40 a.m. on a Wednesday. There are characters in it who wear thongs or bare feet while they are committing heinous, heinous acts. You know, these are not stereotypically like Hollywood villains. They're, they're real-life villains and there is a social realism element to all of these films we're talking about. But this one in particular has a very original take. Like, there, is, there was a, captivity, a female captivity movie a couple of months ago called Berlin Syndrome, but that pretty much went straight down the genre line. But this film, Hounds of Love, your film, I have always wondered when I've read about a couple that take a woman captive for sexual pleasure or you know sexual torture essentially because I've always wondered what's the woman doing in that equation mm-hmm. and it feels like this is the question your film is talking about with Emma Booth as that woman is yeah.
0: that sort of the yeah totally uh, I had the idea for Hounds of Love my mum is a uh, crime writer she writes crime books fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just at her place one day, and there was just this big pile of grisly true crime books, and she said, ah, I'm done with all of those. If there's any there that you're interested in, just just take it. And there was one on women who commit serial murder, and I said, oh, that's interesting. You know, I might be able to get an idea for a film from here, because you haven't, I at least, haven't seen much of it, and I can't think of another film where women commit murder outside of serial murder, <clears throat> of course mass murder is very different, which you get in Natural Born Killers, but serial murder is in um, Monster. And that was the only time that I could imagine, I I could remember seeing a female serial killer portrayed. Um, And so I read the book and what was remarkable was the number of um, female serial killers who were actually the accomplice to a male. Um, And so it it turned out that this was an unfortunate phenomenon which has existed for a really long time and even continues to exist now, and so I just became fascinated as, as why would a woman do this? Why would somebody like in the name of love, help their partner abduct and brutalize you know, other vulnerable women? Mm. and so it was something that fascinated me and led me to do um, a lot more research on, on couples who kill specifically, and I found nine cases right. which, which I you know, studied inside and out and um, I didn't, like, none of the events in Hounds of Love are true events, but I would like to think that the psychology of the relationship is pretty accurate, because it was amazing when I was doing this research, it was was like clockwork. Every single one of the relationships was the same. It was about an incredibly vulnerable woman meeting a sociopathic man who would make them feel loved for the first time. And then he would pull the rug from underneath them and just break them down and they would just come crawling back to him. And so they ended up completely dependent on him and with no identity of their own outside of him. And so every time he'd break them down, he would, um, you know, force them into doing more and more little things, controlling them in a greater and greater manner until eventually he can use them as a tool for him to commit his own
1: sadistic, you know, sexual fantasies often which involve murder. Mm, that makes so much sense. And as I say, your film literally provided me with answers because I have always oh, wondered you. how these women get involved in these awful cases. Because you know that it's the man that's leading them. Mm. But the, the sort of intricacy and in the way that you frame the relationship, which is uh, portrayed by Emma Booth and Stephen Curry in Hounds of Love just makes so much sense, the The way that he manipulates her and the modes of manipulation, it all sort of falls into place. Oh, and I know that these these crimes have occurred in Britain and Scotland yep. and... Canada and US, yeah. And Australia? Yep. Right. So is the one particular couple that yours is kind of based on or it's just all of them in, uh, yeah, in your imagination? Yeah,
0: I don't want to mention any of their names sure. because part of why I decided to make the film fictitious is because I didn't want to... I don't think these people deserve any form of notoriety at all. Yeah, uh, there, there was a couple who influenced the film more than others, and that was a Canadian couple. Um, and uh, yeah, but all of them, like I said, it was more about the psychology of the relationships, and they were all exactly the same. Which mm. just—it was just bizarre. Mm. Made me kind of realize, you know, like ha- what creatures of, of habit all humans are, as far as you know, our psychology goes.
1: Why do men need the women? Because there are so many examples of men who do this on their own, or quite often in Australia with other men, you know, the boys, awful stuff. Why do men need the woman? Uh,
0: Serial murder is all about control. Mm. Um, The the reason why uh, anybody commits serial murder is because taking somebody's life is the ultimate form of control. and. What is another, you know, I I studied a lot of serial murders as well, not just couples, just to try and get inside their head. And it's not uncommon. Strangulation is a very popular form um, of, you know, execution by serial murders, murderers. And the reason that they do that is because they get them down to the fact where they've lost their life, and then they resuscitate them, and then they do it again. Because it's the ultimate control. Their life is literally in their hands. And so this is just my own theory, and I'm not a psychologist, but... The reason I think that these men um, involve women uh, in these crimes is because it's the ultimate form of control. If yeah. you can make somebody so in love with you that they are prepared to commit a murder for you, I think that they get off on that as much as they get off on committing the murder themselves. Right. They get off on the control that they've got over somebody else. So yeah. All right.
1: Um, your film is set in Perth. Yes. You're from Perth. Yes. It's set in 1987. Yes. Very much in the summertime. It's uh-huh. a really hot film. It's, the heat is very tangible. Is there a reason that you set it back in the late 80s? I mean, I loved that for many reasons, including no mobile phones, thank yeah. goodness. No internet, thank goodness. Yeah. Were there other reasons? Besides yeah. It?
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, we had no money to make the film. It's a very, very low-budget movie. Mm-hmm. And um, Perth kind of thrived in the 80s. So there, was, there still is, like, excuse me, whole pockets in Western Australia that look exactly the same as they did right. in the 80s. And so, like, because this film, you know, Hounds of Love in many ways is a genre film, there are so many low-budget genre films coming out all the time that I had to find a way to try and make this one a little bit different. Mm. And simply just because of the locations on offer in Western Australia, uh, I thought, well, it's not going to cost me anything to set this film in the 80s. It's right. a very cheap and effective way to give a low budget film uh, a distinct aesthetic. And similarly, the kind of clothes that they're wearing, they're not the trendy uh, old clothes that, you know, hipsters pay hundreds of dollars for in op shops. It's the, it's the crap that no one wants. And so yeah. the costumes were incredibly cheap to access. The cars are readily available. And so it was a very affordable way for me to give um, a very low budget film um, an aesthetic. And of course, It also allowed me to play a lot with music and, again, hopefully make the film stand out a little bit by having, you know, a a more retro sound to it than a lot of the other genre films um, coming out at the same time. So that was the the principal reason for doing it. Mm. You did mention mobile phones and you did mention social media. And, yes, you couldn't make a film like that anymore. You know, Mm. like the whole thing would have been like a search online. Mm. Where did she check in last? Where did this happen? uh, no one wants to watch a movie about someone sitting in a laptop. So um, it was, uh, yeah, my lazy writing also was a big reason why I said it in, in the time that I did.
1: If we're going to look at Hounds of Love along with Snowtown and the Boys, which is sort of how I see it as these sort of suburban nightmares, the Boys chose not to show any violence. Mm-hmm. Snowtown shows more violence mm-hmm. than your film. Um, Your subject matter is as violent and disturbing as subject matter gets, but you limit your depiction of on-screen violence very specifically... Is that something that you did from the outset or fra- or did you do it in the edit? Did you shoot more? How how did you where did you draw that line for yourself?
0: There's actually more violence in the film than we intended. Okay. Uh, like and if this makes any sense, there's more violence in the film than we actually shot. Um and I'll explain how that came to be okay. shortly. Um but yeah, because I I knew that the acts that these characters were committing were so heinous that Had I shown them, like that's all anybody would have remembered. And I didn't want to make a film about the acts themselves. I wanted to make a film about the people involved in the acts. And so by not showing them, uh, I I think I wasn't distracting from what I was trying to talk about. Mm -hmm. And um, similarly, uh, you know, like what we imagine goes on behind a closed door is so much more graphic and brutal than Mm. anything that I could have shown. And so I think that the film is actually scarier and more confronting for the lack of violence in it, I and think. And you actually use
1: the bedroom door as a tool to frighten us. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly well. Oh, thank the, you. Yeah, the, the, the pitch that the door is on, on its angle, yeah. is very important yeah. in the film.
0: Uh, yes, it is. And yeah. what we
1: see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you
1: for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of the actual character that Emma Booth plays, uh-huh. the woman in the... What's her character's name? Evelyn. My honest response was that I sympathised with her, even though she is complicit in heinous, heinous, yeah. heinous crimes. Is that where you want us to be? Because that is a tricky thing to have written. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I'm going to give Emma
0: a lot of credit for that. Yep. Um, I think that she was very keen from the beginning that she wanted us to empathise with Evelyn, and um, I was less keen, um, but, you know, I wanted a little bit, but <coughs> together we just navigated that path and would shoot a lot of takes. Like Emma is one of the best actors that I've ever worked with, mostly because she just puts so much trust in you. Her performance uh, is extraordinary. We, we would shoot, you know, take after take, and we would do it every which way under the sun and, you know, and then shape the performance a lot in the, in the... I mean, every choice that she did was fantastic, but she gave us so many that we could really get that balance right when we were in the edit. There were times when... You know, I needed her to be crueler, and I wanted to show the dark side, so I had that take, so we could mm. use that in, and so, yeah, it was a very difficult path to navigate to try and get
1: that right, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you you're suggesting that we did. yeah mm. Now, her character has an enormous backstory. Mm-hmm. Was the more of that ever in the script because I, I feel like you've given us just enough, and let her color in the rest.
0: No, uh, you know, like because the film very much began as Vicky's film and this is what I was talking about before.
1: Um Vicky is the victim. Yeah, yeah.
0: because like on paper you can't you know, you couldn't make a film about uh, Evelyn's character, because right. like you know, all the funding bodies or
1: whoever you're trying to get money from would say, No,
0: you have to like your protagonist, which I don't think is true, but an old, old
1: thing, yeah, it's, it's not true. You don't true. like the protagonist enough, yeah. So she definitely is the protagonist. I think she is, yeah. she became I the do. protagonist yeah. in,
0: in the edit, you know, yeah. but on the page, she wasn't. It was Vicky's story. Um, and what I was talking about before, how we actually shot less violence than is in the film, that first 10 minutes, which has almost got no dialogue in it. Um, which is, uh, you know, the the netball moment and then it's the first murder that they committed. Interestingly enough, I wrote in uh, an earlier draft, the film opened with Evelyn and John committing a murder, but the note that we got back from the uh, funding bodies was you can't open a film with a murder like that. You're just going to alienate your audience completely from the outset. So the scene fell away. We never shot it. And the film opened with 20 minutes of kitchen sink drama about a young girl, you know, who's...
1: Setting up the girl. Yeah, yeah, who's kind
0: of sad because her wealthy father and her mother have separated... And it was boring. Yeah, and so I thought, and like, so traditional, yeah. so
1: so genre yeah. specific. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. And so then, what I just, I, I was just thinking, how can I save this film? Because like, I'm going to lose everybody. No one's going to be interested in this. Mm. The actors did a great job. It's like I didn't, as a screenwriter, it was just boring stuff. So I thought, I wish that we'd shot that opening murder. I wish, I wish, I wish. And so then I just realised that. I can make another murder from offcuts. Yeah. So that whole, <laughs> that, whole other wow. mu- that whole other murder at the beginning is made up of deleted scenes. Segments wow. from deleted scenes. All the close-ups are close-ups of Ashley um, so that I just hadn't used. He's killing know? Ashley twice. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and just knowing that um, the, the style that I was always going to go for was not showing much violence, I could get away with showing very little there. I could kind of set the whole tone of the film. By doing that. So I actually had That's that idea. Incredible. I had that idea four days before Picture Lock. And we just tried it and made... Like, the netball was always supposed to be at the beginning, but
1: everything else was segments of deleted scenes. That's incredible. Yeah. It shows you how a movie can be made in the edit. <laughs> yeah. You made this, and I guess you got an agent in the oh. US, and from that you got, you mm. got a, a Hollywood movie. It was
0: really wild and... um humbling uh like my life literally changed overnight like we finished the film like days before its premiere in venice so i didn't even have time to breathe so we shot it in february then we i went into post straight away i didn't have i finished the shoot on friday and then was in post on monday and was in it right up until i jumped on a plane to go to venice And I I was just, it didn't even feel real because I never thought that this film would find an international audience because it's so Australian in so many ways. And um, Mm -hmm. so it was just surreal to be in Venice. And then we had the screening and I thought it went all right, you know, it went pretty good. And we had a nice little shindig afterwards. And that was that. And I thought, okay, cool. Now I've had my fun. Now I go home and beg someone for a job doing a commercial or something like that. yeah, Yeah. yeah. I woke up the next day and had 92 missed calls on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then I rang the Melissa first. I said, I got all these calls from all over the world. And she went, you've got to see the Variety review. And so I read it and then was like, oh, my God, like, did they see the same movie that I've seen? Because I've seen it so many times now, I just, yeah. I just see everything that's wrong with it. And um, then I got all these agents calling me. And, um, and uh, thankfully, I already had a manager by that point. Um, yeah. And he helped me navigate that really well. But then, you know, the day after the premiere, I was signed with UTA. Uh, Uh, A week after that, they had me in London. I did 15 meetings in eight days. uh, And then um, they organised two private screenings at their offices in Beverly Hills. And invited all these producers there and I
1: got I got sent 60 screenplays. And that's the kicker, isn't it? When people mm. when people go like, wow, Animal Kingdom was great, but I still don't understand how every single person in Animal Kingdom got a career in Hollywood. Yeah. It's because of these private screenings, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Your agency holds a private screening in their beautiful Beverly Hills office and they drink, just invite the right people.
0: Yeah, and they invite the best of the best. And yeah. So uh, I I got offered so many films, which was just like, what, what is going on here? I've just spent my whole life being told that I'm a crap filmmaker, and now <laughs> I'm in Beverly Hills meeting with Academy Award-winning producers, and, which I was. And, um, you know, and then Extinction came along. Like I got a call. So this is the new one, Extinction. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. That one came along, and I got a call from my agent just saying, this one's real. Read it. You have to read it tonight. If you see anything in it, like the producers want to Skype with you tomorrow. And I did see something in it. Um, I saw a lot that I wanted to change and um, jumped on Skype with the producers and they asked me, uh, you know, what I liked about the film and I told them and then they said, well, what don't you like about the film? And I probably had a lot more than I liked at that particular point. Um, but it was, you know, kind of good meeting. I thought, oh, yeah, whatever. And then 10 minutes later, my agent rang me and said, yeah, they want to give you the job. Um, can you go to London tomorrow? Ah, and I 10 was, minutes later. Yeah, and I was like, Yeah, Okay. So the next day I'm on my plane to London to go and meet James McAvoy, who was attached (laughs) to the film at the time. And it was incredibly bizarre. And then anyway, that happened. And then the producers of that, Todd Todd Lieberman and Alex Young and Aaron Westerman, um, they were so fantastic. And they they listened to all of my notes and the writer, Brad uh, Kane as well. Who? Fun fact: He was the singing voice of Aladdin in the movie. Um, wow! <laughs> uh, they were just so great, and they were like, they were fast. Like, what I quickly realized was the reason that these guys have these careers that they have in Hollywood is they work so hard. Right. Like, I'd give notes, and then literally I'd get a new draft the next day. Yeah. And yeah. then Alex Young, particularly, he would ring me up and go, "Read the draft yet?" I go, "Dude, I just got it in my, in- <laughs> I got it in my inbox." He went, "Okay, cool." Uh, I'm gonna hang up. Uh, call me back in an hour and a half, and you've read it. And I'd be yeah. like, okay. And that's how it works, you know. Like I've worked with people in Australia who it takes them. It took them longer to read a draft than it took me to write one. You know, yep. and it just wasn't like that in, in America. And I just yep. realised really quickly that. God, the reason that these people have these careers they have is they are such hard workers. And like, none of the stereotypes applied. None of them drink. None of them take drugs. They just work, work, work. And um, so, Extinction, I got attached to it. We did multiple drafts. And about four months after my attachment, um, it was fully financed. And uh, I was on my way to Serbia. To shoot it. So, and yeah, you took Emma Booth with you? I took Emma Booth with me. Yeah, she plays a, 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 good, a good supporting role in the film. Um, yeah, so, awesome. so it was a wild experience. It still doesn't even feel like it happened. Just like, <laughs> How yeah. exciting! Yeah. It's wonderful. But I, I asked them why they wanted me for it, and they said because even though it's this big science fiction film, they wanted it to be about the characters and a large portion of that film is also contained and so it was about again the relationships of these characters in a in a small space and ah, okay. they yeah and they said we want you to bring the kind of we want you to bring tension which isn't on the page which we think that you can do after Hounds of Love and so that was kind of exciting to me and so I kind of made it my mission shooting that film to make some of the most tense scenes some of, uh, out of the most nothing scenes on the page and hmm. um so I did that, and so, yeah.
1: That, that's really comforting, because that shows you that Hollywood producers, who've earned a certain rung up the ladder, can actually see things like that. Yeah, see, like, oh, that film has internal tension in a combined space between a small amount of characters. We can apply that over here. Yeah. That's cool. Well, we'll check in again when Extinction comes out. Thank you. Thank you so much. my review of the film, needless to say, it's obviously a captivity thriller, another female in captive thriller, but unlike that film Berlin Syndrome from a couple of months ago, which focused on a young, attractive woman held captive, this one really, well, you've heard in my interview, the protagonist is one of the captors, and that is so interesting. Uh, With awe-inspiring assurance, I say, debut feature writer-director Ben Young and actor Emma Booth pull it off. Booth is astonishingly good as 30-something Evelyn, whose relationship with John, they're both called White in the credits, so it can be assumed they're married, is as toxic as it gets. Together they have kidnapped, sexually tortured and killed at least one schoolgirl. The film focuses on their abduction of Vicky. Ashley Cummings last seen in Pork Pie in a significantly brighter role. It is Perth, Western Australia in 1987 in December and it is hot. The heat pervades the film adding to its dread and the specificity specificity pardon me of its milieu. Late 80s Perth is brilliantly evoked in all its isolation, casualness and suburbanity. The whites are as mundane and banal as their car and their street, but like the palm trees and brilliant blue skies surrounding them, they are not unattractive. If they weren't so screwed up, they would probably make good swingers. But they're really screwed up. John is the monster, and we never get to know him too deeply. He is not the point. Evelyn's dependence on him, her need for his approval, basquerading as love, is the point. We get many glancing glimpses into her life before John, including having two children, that give us enough of a complex picture without ever tipping over into pseudo-Freud, pseudo-Jung or pseudo-domestic abuse community service announcement. The script paints in enough and Perth-born Booth exquisitely fills in the rest. Did I say she's astonishing? She's astonishing. May awards be heaped upon her. Cummings is also always believable and commanding, as Vicky. Lord knows what it must be like to play such roles, tied to beds, relentlessly abused, covered in bruises, frequently near naked, and more frequently in tears or screaming. I imagine you do it once, as a demented acting rite of passage, and never again. Then you wait for a role like Evelyn, which unfortunately comes along as often as that darned blue moon. As John, Stephen Curry's performance is appropriately cold, manipulative and creepy, but doesn't equate to the revelatory castings of predecessors Nicholas Hope in Bad Boy Bubby from 1993, David Wenham in 1998's The Boys and Daniel Henschel in Snowtown from 2011. He's menacing, Mrs. Curry, but your throat doesn't tighten at his mere presence. As Justin Curzel did with Snowtown, Young has taken a tired genre and given it enormous life by applying intelligence, depth of character and just a damned fine script. Hounds of Love is not as everything as Snowtown, not as disturbing, not as bloody, not as brilliant, but it is another inspired and noble entry in Australian cinema's rich ledger of suburban nightmares. In films like these, the villains wear thongs and people get hurt while the sun brilliantly shines. Thanks for listening to Movie Land. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CJ Movie Land. Read and subscribe for free to my written reviews at filmmafia.com.au. Watch my web TV series, Watch This, at Skippy TV. That's S K I P I dot TV. S K I P I dot TV. TV and make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend. Take care.